Filmmakers make films, but films make filmmakers. From blockbuster premieres to grindhouse theaters, late night cable to the local video store, there is no greater classroom for aspiring filmmakers than cinema itself. Join your host, Eric Skorzynski, as he dives deep into the minds of legendary directors, producers, actors, and more to discover their biggest influences and to explore the impact their films are leaving behind. This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Nat, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you for having me. Yeah, really excited to chat with you. And Puppet Master is a franchise where I I find myself asking, is this good or do I have Stockholm Syndrome? (laughs) Because as the series goes on, my fondness and affinity for it has grown with it. But I want to know your, you know entry point to this series because uh, there's a lot of Halloween fans out there, a lot of uh, Friday 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Puppet Master is a unique kind of passion. So where did that kind of start for you? Yeah, I was already like getting big into horror at that point. I'd seen Friday the 13th, I'd seen Halloween, I'd seen Nightmare on Elm Street. And I was also a really big toy kid. I had a bunch of toys and it actually was that kind of sparked the interest in puppet master because i mm. wasn't like at the video store or anything i was with my dad buying convincing him to let me buy this toy magazine when i was like eight mm-hmm. and i was flipping through it like when we got home and in the middle of the book there was a double page spread on the puppet master action figure series and I was just so immediately taken by the the designs of the characters that I I had to know I had to know more. Yeah. I had to like know everything about what this was. And I had a friend who had been the one to guide me into horror, who'd seen everything in the horror island. He was like, "Do you know about Puppet Master? Tell me everything about Puppet Master." And he steered me to eventually, probably like a week or two later, convincing my dad to let me rent first movie Hmm. and that was it like from the time i'd seen it to seeing that first movie that was and it was like as much as i loved all aspects of horror so deeply that was a legitimate obsession so your first blood was the original it was the very Mm -hmm. first movie was it still the actual dolls in the movie the actual puppets in the movie that really you loved or was it the story what was it about that first film that really hit for you I'm sure as a kid, it was the puppets because they're the, they're the, the stars and they're not in the first film terribly often, but still like it was that movie and my video store also had two and three and I'd rent them. It got to a point I was renting them basically every weekend like, right? over and over and those first five and curse were like the the childhood favorites sure and those are the first five especially are still i think obviously of a much higher quality than they were able to do since that point but i will so there it has to be something about the movie itself to watch it as many goddamn times as i did and i think I've come to appreciate and try and figure out what I appreciate about that first movie so much more 
over time. And I think as a kid, I liked the weirdness of it. Mm -hmm. And I liked the way the puppets got around the hotel. Yeah. And as an adult, I like the Italian influence of that mm. movie. I like it's very Italian influence. It has Sergio Salvati, who, who shot it, was the DP for Lucio Fulci, and he shot The oh. Beyond and uh, Zombies, City of the Living Dead. And there are sequences that call back to other movies. There's a bit in the original Puppet Master that's almost directly lifted from Dario Argento's Deep Red, hmm. where a psychic has a, a vision of her own kind of impending death. Yeah. And those things in general I gravitate towards. Yeah. And I, yeah. I also really like, um, I genuinely miss when movies could have a really simple premise, but be yeah. like weirdly convoluted. Yeah. Because this is a movie that the title suggests it's about killer puppets running around a hotel, and, and that's it. And it could, if they wanted to, just be that. But instead, it's about this psychic who staged his own death to seek out immortality. And because of the psychic link he shares with his colleagues, he's invited them all back to the hotel to kill them off one by one so that they don't know what he knows. And it's so needlessly complicated for the thing that it is in a way that I admire. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely weird. It's a, like you said, it's a simple premise, but it's got this very kind of convoluted plot. It feels Italian in that sense too, is that there is this level of just confusion as to what you're watching. Like Fulci was, I've watched the beyond several times and I still feel like I have a grasp on five to 10% of it, but it's mm -hmm. really good. Yeah, it was for me, the first two films didn't land with me when I watched them. And my entry to the franchise was the newest Puppet Master movie, which didn't quite land right for me. I was like, and then I went back to the original to go like, how did we get here? Because there's so many entries. And then going to the first two, there was elements I was like, okay, this is okay. And then I got into part three. And for me, that's where I was like, okay, this franchise makes sense for me. This is where it clicks. And I, I started finding my, and again, it's like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm like, is this good? Or am I like getting Stockholm syndrome? Cause these movies are holding me captive for this many entries. And I really started feeling like I got the tone of the films because they are very unique. They're not like Chuck. I expected Chucky and they're not that they're very decidedly not that. And so it's very interesting kind of how the series progressed but before we dive into that I'm, I am curious to know obviously you're you've worked on this book and and have started documenting how these worked what kind of kicked that in motion was it just revisiting them over and over again and wanting to get a more comprehensive guide to these movies or was it something where someone suggested the idea like what kind of sparked that uh, the idea was basically I got my house is like a little, my apartment's like a little horror museum. And I've got like a whole shelf that's just like all the puppet master figures, all the puppet. Masters. So people who are like over for a party or whatever, mm -hmm. point those out and I was like, what is that? And I'd been, I hadn't had any kind of like major book deal or anything, but I'd been writing about horror for sites and stuff for, for a while. And I was having a, a New Year's party where I found myself explaining 
what these were and are being like, yeah. And then this one is weird because it had all these other factors going on. And then I, as I was talking about it, I stepped back hearing myself talking about it and all the knowledge I'd accumulated since childhood and being so weirdly obsessed with it and everything. And I started to think, one, there's a book here, but two, I'd wanted to see a book ever since Crystal Lake Memories came out Mm. back when I was like in high school. And I started to have that other thought where I was like, I genuinely am not sure if there's someone more qualified to be doing it. More more to the tone of, if I don't do this, I don't think anybody will. And so literally that next day, I was in a group chat with some writer friends, and I just sent a message that said, talk me out of writing a book on Puppet Master. (laughs) And they didn't. It just ended up moving along. I'm... curious like doing the research on that because obviously you already had so much background knowledge on the material like how do you go about doing that because it is something where nobody had done it nobody had really gone through and done an extensive history on it which is surprising given how much stuff like chopping mall is coming back out and getting tons of people looking at it how did you go about actually formally trying to figure out the pieces of how these movies came about? Because Full Moon is notoriously difficult to to track on a lot of their uh, processes and things and their their mm-hmm. rhyme and reason for why they do what they do. So like, how did you go about like formally being a journalist about this and, and piecing it together? The biggest thing was obviously talking to as many people as I could and knowing the people that were accessible and who had worked on several of the movies and would therefore be really strong interviews for the book. And then the other thing was literally finding every issue of Fangoria, Gorezone, whatever that had ever covered Mm -hmm. any of the movies and getting my hands on absolutely all of it. And I found a lot of stuff that had been buried that way that was the exciting thing where i knew i was hopefully on a really good track was when i was starting to find the stuff that that i didn't know yeah yeah and so i was like okay this movie is pretty polarizing and i'm like what's the background here and then i haven't really talked to anybody from that particular film and then i get like a an old issue of a magazine from the 90s that where you have this bombshell of somebody explaining, oh yeah, and here's the the absolutely bizarre way we're doing this next movie. Yeah. Things like that wound up being really helpful too. Yeah. Why do you think that nobody had gone about doing this before? Because like it does have a pretty decent fan base. Like I said, it's not in the realm of Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street with the kind Mm -hmm. of massive, massive fan base around it. But there's a lot of very hardcore puppet master fans out there why do you think this hadn't been done in any kind of proper way yet Uh, surprisingly when once i actually had announced it i'd signed the contract and everything and said hey this Mm. book is actually happening did have a couple writers one or two who did say i was thinking about writing that book but part of the issue is it is a lot of like you said the information isn't as out there and available and a lot of thing which is another big thing that is a case with a lot of kind of charlie bam projects and everything is that uh, a lot of people have 
different memories of things that happened. And so there's a lot of figuring out which is the more likely scenario right. for different bits. I think that was a big part of it as well. Yeah. Who who's the first person you got in touch with to try to talk? Obviously, Charles Band is probably the top of the list of people that mm-hmm. you need to talk to for something. But who is the first one you actually made contact with and started, okay, this is real. Like we're moving forward on this. The first person who had worked on the films actually that I talked to, who was one of the biggest helps for the book at all was Chris Endicott, who was a protege of David Allen, who had worked on the puppetry hmm. and effects for the second, third, fourth, and fifth hmm. movies. And it was actually the day, probably minutes after the contract had been signed and everything was official. And I had made the announcement that I was writing this book for certain that he actually called me hmm. just to talk about franchise, just wow. to get a feel for who I, I was. And that was the exciting thing was a lot of people who worked on the series actually stepped forward instead of me having to find them. Right. Say like, hey, I want to be involved. I want to be a part of this. I, I think this would be something I want to talk about and provide insight for. And I was really grateful for that. Yeah. 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 It's really cool. And I saw when you announced the book, like there was uh, one of the guys who'd worked on one of the movies, shout you, I forget who it was, but shout you out in a tweet. It was like, oh, I remember talking to you when you first got this rolling and it's cool seeing that passion pour over. And I, I think that's something that with these movies, again, I think, and obviously the full moon labels had its own controversies and people have their mm-hmm. own feelings about it, but it is cool seeing that there's still this passion for so many people involved working on these projects, putting it together. And I'm curious, as you started going into it, you mentioned moments where you found out things you'd never realized before. Do you remember a couple of those like bombshell moments where you're like, oh, that's crazy. I had no idea this was part of this mythos. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest ones was uh, Curse of the Puppet Master. Hmm. And everything that went into the background of that, because there's... Uh, one thing I cover in a, a chapter of its own in the book is there was a trilogy of films that were never made hmm. in the 90s after Puppet Master 5. Right. It was a typical Charlie Band thing where they did Puppet Master 5 and it was called the final chapter. And by the end credits video zone on that movie, he was saying, hey, here's what we're doing with the puppets next. Hmm. And it was going to be this trilogy called Puppet Wars. And the first one was going to be called curse of the puppet master Hmm. and it was going to be set immediately all three of those movies were going to be set immediately after puppet master three and i knew all of that but there was a lot of things like there were so many things happening at once by the time curse of the puppet master the movie that it actually is happened which was a full moon was no longer had paramount backing Hmm. so the movies drastically decreased in size and only decreased from there for the next 20 years. And at the time Curse of the Puppet Master came out, the action figures also came out. Mm -hmm. So basically what I found, which was an interview in a magazine with Full Moon Toys Vice President Rick Fairs, was from when they were still working on the Puppet Wars idea. And 
they were all gung-ho about doing a movie that was set immediately after three mm-hmm. with Andre Toulon and Guy Rolfe returning and the puppets on uh, a train. And it was mm-hmm. going to be this very tight kind of murder on the Orient Express was like puppets kind of deal. And they obviously so much you know money. Yeah. They're still kind of trying to make it. And in that interview, Rick Fish, he basically says, we're still in Romania trying to get this curse of the puppet master, which was at that time the train movie made, but we have the toys out now and we haven't made a movie in four years. So while this Romania movie is taking a long time to prep over the next two weeks in Los Angeles, we're going to shoot another movie. Uh, and we're, we're just going to be puppet master seven or whatever. Maybe we'll call this one curse of the puppet master. Mm-hmm. And so the movie they shot in two weeks as an afterthought to sell the toys wound up being the movie that actually came out. Wow. And the one that was like their passion project, like just disappeared, never got off the ground. That's crazy. Yeah. It's that's one thing that's such a weird balance in this too, is like I mentioned, obviously the passion people involved, but like, then there's also, is that weird? Just that weird full moon way of doing things. Like you've got, because I, I was blown away by part four and five like that to me, I get like, I get, I'm a horror fan. So I get people who say whatever movie is their favorite horror movie. I get it. That's fine with me. Four and five though, I think venture into, oh, this is actually a really good movie. <laughs> like, and very inventive and like very large vision. And obviously the budget shows in that movie. But it's it's creative. I tweeted out like part five to me had that kind of malignant energy where it's like there's creative stuff with the lighting and the cinematography and the performances are interesting in in the movie, like all the Puppet Master movies. But the core movie is like really interesting and really well shot and creative. And for me, it's it's like this love-hate thing as I watch through them because I find myself loving the direction and that it gets seems like it gets cut off at the ankles and then it's curse of the puppet master which like coming off the high of five into curse of the puppet master was a blow <laughs> to say the least but. yeah i adore four and five i actually because i interviewed jeff burr who yeah. i think is a big part of the reason those two movies work so well oh yeah 100 percent. Uh, i interviewed him for the book and i met him at a convention last month and in like in person hmm. uh, for the first time and got talking to him about the book and everything and got to mention to him which he said made his his whole like year that i was so into this as a kid that i actually had a birthday party where the main event was we watched puppet master <laughs> that's funny and those they're like the world's smallest kaiju movies to me mm-hmm. it's like godzilla versus whatever but the puppeteers just work their their butts off on yeah. that movie. and david allen did the elevator finale of uh puppet master five is like the last time in the entire series you have david allen doing the stop motion mm-hmm. and as they pulled out all the stops yeah to make that work and those two movies are also really interesting because there was supposed to be one movie and it does yeah. show yeah but what's hilarious is that it was going to be one movie in theaters and it was going to be called Puppet Master the Movie. 
which is hilarious because there were already three films before it but those movies yeah you can i love them you can absolutely see where they did a lot of padding to take five which was basically the third act of four and stretch that into an 80 minute movie but i love that i loved that approach as a kid i loved seeing the puppets as heroes yeah. And that's one of the unique things that, about this franchise to me is that no horror franchise has really taken to heart the idea that the more a series goes on, people start to to see the villains as heroes. Right, right. And Puppet Master, which just said, let's just make them heroes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an abrupt shift. The only other franchise I can think of is Terminator, but they did that the second movie. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, four and five, like the, and it is Jeff Burr. That's the clear differentiator. Is like you have a really good director stepping in, and it honestly bums me out that there's not more from him um, because I think like Leatherface. I, I got to see that in theaters two years ago now or three years ago now, and. I was taken aback because I always brush it off. And then knowing the context of the MPA getting the movie and, and all the trials of that, like when you look at the movie itself, so well-directed, super creative, and he does really well with characters. And he just, to me, that's where like puppet master, like if I was going to point someone to any of them, it's four and five, I think are the purest form of that. And there's so much, like I said, passion just dumped into it. Like it, it, you can feel it. Like there's things in that, like that are funny, like part five, I started, I I wish I would have counted all the times they run past the same window, like Mm -hmm. circling around this building and things like that. But there is so much stuff like the, the blood dripping on the flashlight and making the room red and like creative touches like that, that just, that doesn't come from a quick cash grab movie. Like it's just a really inventive film. Oh, sorry. And that's a, an interesting thing, too, I think, as the series has gone on. Because when you think of cash grabs, you really think of like, you all, your mind always goes to studios churning, like Paramount churning out two Friday the 13th in the span of nine months. Yeah. But like when you talk about the way they churn out Puppet Master movies now, it's like, how much cash yeah. are you possibly talking about here? And that's what I think is interesting now is uh, the Puppet Master in the present is in such a weird state mm-hmm. and the, the reach is bigger than it's like ever been. There yeah. are currently, you know, there's a video game on the way on Steam and there are Puppet Master toys in, in Target now, which I never, yeah. ever in a million years expected. And yet the movies now are being made for an an echo chamber of subscribers. It's for whoever's subscribing to Full Moon Streaming. Yeah. And they're made for they're made for under a hundred grand. Yeah. And it's shot in four days. And it's interesting to me, knowing those are the circumstances to see how creative you can get within those parameters. But like at that point, as dire as it is, it feels like you're making the movie like just to make the movie because yeah. we're making the money of all of the other things. Certainly. Yeah. That was what was really difficult for me moving through the series. And it was my first time like watching four and five was prepping for this interview and like really was like, Oh wow, this is like really solid. And then getting into 
I had seen the remake, which I want to talk about in a second, but once I started getting into the post-curse movies, it Mm -hmm. really was hard for me to keep moving forward because they did feel very soulless and they felt like it just didn't feel like any of that love was there. Like it just felt really, again, like you said, what's the point? What, what are you doing this for? And doing your interviews and doing research, did you get any sense from anybody? Were there people still attached to those movies that cared about the franchise? (laughs) That's, I honestly, and I'm never going to love the more recent entries as much. Mm -hmm. And they're still, they're so, they are such uh, small movies that like they're not what other people there are plenty of other people that don't know that feature films get this as small as they are but I was worried a lot going into this that after being a fan for so long that it would it would ruin it for me that it would make me less of a fan or like having peeled back every aspect of everything that I wouldn't like love it as much yeah and it did the exact opposite for me because I talked to people from virtually every single movie and what I found was I found a new love that I certainly didn't have for the movies I didn't love going in Hmm. because everybody tried on everything but you're just the attempts you're making are they have to be made within the banner you're working under which sure is smaller and smaller but i found it really did save a lot of my love for because i hadn't even watched some of even the movies i did love in recent years before i did the book and then it just reignited that passion seeing how much work people put into it even and even the most recent movies which by the way is not the remake and yeah that's that's the thing is that so many people think the full moon movies are at this point so small that people don't even know they exist yeah unless you're a full moon subscriber it's off your radar yeah but i think they are making a smart choice with with the circumstances they have to work with moving into spinoffs because Tom Devlin, who I interviewed for the book, he did the, all the puppets for the more recent movies like Axis, Axis Rising, Axis Termination, and Blade the Iron Cross. And mm-hmm. for those movies, for Axis Rising, Axis Termination, they were they had about three weeks of prep time, about two weeks, if that, of shooting time. And he's making eight or nine puppets and doing obviously four or five different versions of those puppets. So the level of work is not what you want it to be because you have an unbelievably low amount of time and money to put into it. So if those are the circumstances, I think it's a smart pivot to take a puppet and make that puppet look as, as good as you, you can. Yeah. If those are the circumstances that you have to make a movie under. Yeah. What, what was your take on? So what people's minds would say is the most recent would be the puppet master, littlest Reich. What was your take on that? Cause that was an attempt to, you know, re bolster. I think the, the franchise. Yeah. And it, it very much was not a full moon. Movie yeah. with not Charlie Dan doing it and everything. 
that movie, I will admit, the chapter I wrote in the book, and this shows how, just how long I'd been working on it, likes that movie a lot more than I actually probably do now. Because hmm. I was like, oh, I see where they're, they're going from and everything. And the more I sat with it, I was like, the Jewish themes of this franchise do run, run deep. It's all over three, but literally the Nazis chasing down Toulon was the first scene of the first movie. And I was like, those are the most interesting aspect of it. And I was like, and having, at first I kind of loved it as much as I could love a movie that was very much not made for me mm-hmm. because the puppets being the heroes and just having those character quirks that even the puppeteers brought to it no. was a big draw for me. So watching them run around a hotel committing hate crimes, which is literally the plot, was, yeah. was very weird for me. And then the more I sat with it, I was like, even taking away, because I get they were going for a more comedic extreme take with that anyway. Even if that's the, the case, like why does only the straight white guy survive? Hmm. Even in ter- even just not even thinking about it like thematically, just in terms of the plot, if that's your main character and the puppets are committing hate crimes, then he's never in danger. Right. Yeah. So that that stuck out to me over time. Yeah. Yeah, that was like I said, that was my entry to the series and it felt it just didn't feel fun. Like it was it, yeah. supposed to be comedic, but for me, like when I sat down, like I said, not knowing anything about the series, I just went into it and took what it gave me as this is what Puppet Master is. I'm sure there was a lot of people like that. My yes. my reason for checking it out was S. Craig Zoller writing on the script and interested to see what else he was doing because there's he's one of those artists who you're waiting for his next project to see what he writes. And I watched it and I was just like, it just felt... You know, someone just said this about Halloween Kills, so the words kind of fresh in my mind. But it just felt really, and I just said the words fresh in my mind, and I just blanked on it. But it just felt very mean spirited. That's the word I was yeah. looking for. It just and, felt, uh, uh, and it was, it, yeah, it was just a tough one to swallow. And again, it, it's just a hard balance. Like there is the obviously anti-Semitism comes up in the Puppet Master movies, but it's never. I feel like that's the one part it does handle somewhat seriously in its in most of the movies and it's mm-hmm. never it's just not positioned the same way and it felt I felt like Little Strike felt very it didn't feel anti-semitic for a joke it felt yeah. anti-semitic because it was anti-semitic and then played out that way and especially when you go back to especially part 3 like it's such a juxtaposition to what they did in that movie yeah, literally, it is a huge pivot. Like, even if you were doing a comedic take, and it's weird because the chapter in the book is pretty kind to this movie, but even if you were doing a comedic take, you yep. wouldn't do a version of Candyman where he was in, in the KKK. It's it, Look at Inglorious Bastards, like very comedic moments, but the movie's decidedly not with the Nazis. And it puts you in an odd position where you do want to root for these puppets. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. That's the thing is that three brought so much to the table thematically. And three was such a 
a genuinely good movie was like an insane cast of character actors that they got for those parts. And there is so much to three that I, I talked to Courtney Joyner, who, for the book, who, who wrote that movie, which is, I think, far and away the best script in the franchise. And mm-hmm. so much of that was intentional, this idea of this old Jewish man in war-torn Germany who is just surrounded by guilt and death and this man who is literally carrying his dead friends with him wherever he goes. Mm-hmm. And to take, it's such a weird pivot from Jewish people who are getting the chance after death to take revenge upon their oppressors yeah. to doing the, the literal as polar opposite of that as you possibly could. Yeah. But uh, it, it did just, and Little Strike has also a, a lot of great actors mm-hmm. in it for sure. Yeah. But it just reminded me how much I love three. Right. Yeah. So, like you said, I was in Target literally the other, other day, and they have all of the. It was very tempting, but I, I was like, I want to pick up all of these. So they had every, they had all of the main characters in boxes, collectors' boxes at Target on the shelf, and it seems. I just look at the last week we had in horror. We had a Day of the Dead series, a Chucky series, a Sleepaway Camp remake, which I still need to watch, and Halloween Kills, and then the Scream trailer and a Hellraiser casting <laughs> announcement. And so it seems like now, more than ever. This is the time for Slumber Party Massacre getting a sh- a remake movie, Chucky getting on the small screen and being so good, and Day of mm-hmm. the Dead hitting the small screen. I I really enjoy Day of the Dead. Like I just for it seems like now more than ever, Puppet Master could expand beyond Full Moon streaming. It could get a treatment like Halloween got with the 2018 film. What would you like to see? if they were to take it in and I'm surprised they haven't, if they were to take it in a direction like that, I would, if anything, I'd love for them to look at the, to mine the recent comic series for material. Hmm. Cause the recent comics by Sean Gabbard, some of the, I without a doubt, the best storytelling we've had within this franchise since four and five, right. if not three. And, you know, they, they had tried before, by the way, Puppet Master vs. Demonic Toys, which mm-hmm. Sci-Fi Channel did in 2004, was a pilot movie for a TV series that just oh, really? didn't happen. But the recent comics are so good because there are so many lingering plot threads in the movies that were never picked up again, that Sean not only found an opportunity to go and pick back those things that were never addressed are those kind of old dangling plot points, but also not do it just for fan service sake, yeah. because he's telling that's what I like. Cause say at the end of puppet master two, Camille, the psychic turns into this, this giant, this pup, like life-size puppet lady and takes the puppets off to this horrific adventure. We don't see. And so what happened to her? Hmm. And he doesn't go back and tell that story then. He's telling an ongoing story in the present and using those old threads as a jumping off point further the, the present day story that he's already doing. Yeah. And I cannot recommend the kind of the second arc of that series, Rebirth, enough because it takes 
the things that were presented in Puppet Master 3 that never got to be explored and really explores them by saying, okay, these were human beings. These are human souls in wooden bodies. We have never explored other than the two we saw in that film. Mm -hmm. We have never explored who these people were. Yeah. They do an entire story that is about they have the opportunity to regain their humanity. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, your main eight cast of puppets are flesh and blood characters again. And you get to explore who they are, who their individual personalities are, especially the ones that had never, who that person, who that puppet had been and never been explored. And then you have this smart momentum of that story being like, but those puppets' bodies are still moving around and are now after them. So if they're not in them anymore, what is? Yeah. And that, I think, was a, a really great story. So I would love them to mine any of, of that. And it's possible because... Someone's doing it. <laughs> well, yeah. It's also Puppet Masters 3, maybe the best movie in the series, took its entire plot from a comic book. The first issue, because they started doing tie-ins right out of the gate with this franchise. And by the time they had movie number one and were prepping movie number two, they started a four-issue comic book series that was going to be a prequel to the first movie. And so before Puppet Master 2 even came out, a comic book, Puppet Master number one, hit the stands that was about Andre and his wife, Elsa, who we had never seen before, running a puppet show in Berlin. It's making fun of the Reich. The Nazis come and they see it. And they kill his wife. And he puts his wife's soul into the Leechwoman puppet, which that was also our first inkling ever that there were human souls in his puppet. And so much of the major beats of that movie stemmed from a comic book. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's the difference too, though. I mean, the difference too, though, is like when you look at, say, Lewis Reich, or you look at the author working on the comics now. Like, you need someone who takes the story seriously, even though it is, it, it's Puppet Master. Like, it it is a silly, crazy concept, but I think when you approach it as that, then you have a problem. It's, it's like Chucky. <laughs> Don Mancini being at the helm of that takes that franchise very seriously and you get really quality storytelling within the frame of a silly story. Whereas like with Puppet Master, I think Littlest Reich was somebody saying, here's a really crazy, funny concept. Let's go nuts with it and go gory and big, which I have no problem with, but not a respect for the material as it stands. And I think that's a a huge difference in the direction they end up taking it. Yeah, that... And obviously, I'm down for them getting anybody who knows the material and is great. But do I know personally what, what exactly I would do with, say, a Leech Woman movie or something? Like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, yeah, I just want that respect being paid to the story and the mythology and the past and everything because it is so ingrained in those early films and especially three and that's it's not like the anti-nazi stuff yeah came out of nowhere the band family's jewish right albert band who's charlie's dad he he is fled from paris to the 
United States right before the start of the, the Nazi occupation of Paris. And he voiced six shooter. That's the cackle in that movie of a Nazi survivor blowing those, yeah. those Nazis away. Did you talk, cause Charles band produced the new, the puppet master Lewis Reich. Did you get to talk to him at all about his thoughts on the franchise? I know he was I, uh, not a main producer on it, but he was, yeah, it was very much. He gave them free range. Because yeah. the thing was he had actually gotten a lot of offers okay. the years. And what I understand and, and respect about Charlie certainly is that this is his thing. It's his passion. It's his wheelhouse and everything. This was the only offer for a remix that had ever actually allowed him to continue. Hmm. That would allow him to continue making his own puppet master movies, not signing it over to a paramount or somebody. Yeah, exactly. Every other deal had been like, we'll make the movie. We own the, the franchise and everything. And there's no like truer thing about him as you track all the way through these movies that he would never let that happen. Hmm. He was, he would never give that up so that he would no longer be able to make these movies and have a say in these movies. So the fact that they would do whatever they wanted, but also he could do whatever he wanted, I think that was the perfect deal. Sure. For him. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love, I'd, lo- I'd honestly, I'd love to see like Blumhouse. I have my feelings about Halloween kills. Uh, I was not a big fan of it, but I, I love the concept of John Carpenter coming in and helping them navigate this mm-hmm. while also giving creative control to somebody new to take in a different direction. I, I think that would be really interesting to see that happen with this franchise. Cause like I said, I think this is a perfect fit for, especially Again, after watching Malignant and then going into four and five, I was just like, this deserves its own wonky, crazy remake. Um, maybe a TV series or a, an HBO like original or sci-fi. It just seems like a really good fit. And I'd love to see something like that happen in the future. Because I, it is. It's something where you still want so much what makes those movies work is Charles Band and is Full Moon and that weird kooky label. It, you wouldn't want to see that gone uh, completely, yeah. but I'd, I'd love to see that partnership with some with a Blumhouse or with a fill in the blank. Yeah. Having said that the movies Charlie actually directed in this franchise, which are few and far between are, I think the worst because his director, he's excited as he clearly seems excited as to, as a director when he's doing something like, especially wonky, like ginger dead man. Yeah. And the puppet master movies he did recently access rise, access termination in terms of directing. They were, very much static and like a we did let's it, get it done yeah so moved on sure, sure and so even though it was shot in less time and for less money i think the blade movie was a huge step above those because it was like oh the camera's moving yeah. again that's good <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like yeah it's, it's like camera work i was like even though that movie's so low budget it feels so much bigger than its immediate predecessors because it's like, oh, it's got someone new stepping in who's excited to do it. Yeah. And it's got this this one puppet that they really spent a lot of time on and they have, they spent the time to get another, an animatronic yeah. in there and stuff. It showed effort 
And that's, I think, my expectations have dropped so low for this franchise that I, I basically just like to see Tunneler employed. Seeing effort be made, seeing that kind of kinetic energy come back to it gets me excited. It's mostly, it is very much a love of those early films that, yeah. that drives me so much. Absolutely. Man, I really appreciate you taking time to to do this. And for anybody, I know people listening to this episode, if you listen to a full hour of Puppet Master Talk, you're probably a fan of the franchise, which means you should definitely pick up a copy of Nat's book. Um, there's a link in the show notes to that where you can check it out. It this series is fascinating. It's interesting to watch. And if you haven't watched any of the movies, like definitely go back and like at least watch the first handful of movies and check them out. It's it's well worth watching. And uh, is there anything else, any other way people can connect with you, keep up with what you're doing? At Nat Bremer on, on Twitter is a good way to, to follow me and keep up with me. The book is obviously the, the big thing I have going right now. I was also a part of the, the really wonderful uh, Remind Magazine special Halloween issue commemorating the entire franchise that is that Justin Bean guest edited that is on stands now. But the book, please read it if you're interested. I that's kind of my big thing. I spent a, a lot of time on it. I'm so thrilled that it is finally out. And I thank you for having me on to to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you so much for joining me on the show. And thank you to everybody who's listening. Be sure to head to the link in the show notes, connect with Nat on Twitter, and be sure to grab a copy of the book and check it out very soon. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Film School Podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode.